everyone. Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I just want to welcome my guest here, author of Joseph and Lucy Smith's Tunbridge Farm, an archaeological and landscape study, uh, written by Mark L. Staker and Donald L. Enders. Uh, Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. So I'm, I was just off camera. I was talking to Mark, and I said, you know, I just really want to thank you for early on coming onto my program before Richard Bushman did and all these other big names and the channel's grown and, and uh, you know, to have somebody from the church historian's office come on my program was a real big deal to me and it still is. And uh, we had a fun time with your book and um, it was just uh, really cool to, this was one of the first books that a publisher sent me to as well, which I thought was really cool. Christopher Smith at uh, John Whitmer Books sent this and another one to me. Um, so basically the reason why I'm having you on is because we promised my audience uh, in June, when we filmed this, that we were going to be having the results coming soon. And that was part of the reason why Rick Bennett put your uh, videos up in June, because we thought by the end of June, beginning of July, the results would be in. But we learned a, a lot of lessons, you and I together, about what it <laughs> takes to get a pollen results. Now, just as a primer for my audience who haven't seen the first episode, uh, they, uh, Joseph Lucy Smith uh, farmed Tunbridge Farm. And, uh, but nobody really knows for sure. Now they know they grew apples and stuff like that, but they didn't know what all the different crops that they grew. So what they did was they did an excavation and were able to excavate pollen samples from the period of time that they would have been um, farming the land. So why don't you talk a little bit about the process, what you learned and how they actually extract these pollen spores. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll give just a little bit of background about how this, this study came about and uh, kind of what we were doing initially, and uh, we we did look at uh, Joseph and Lucy Smith's uh, first uh, starter home site, their their married home site, where they moved in with Joseph's parents, and then eventually they expanded and, and had a house there until they moved on uh, to Randolph, uh, Vermont. And there's a large industrial building site there. Uh, the nails we found at the site suggested that it had been built uh, very early on uh, by the Smith family and was likely used by uh, Joseph Smith uh, Sr. because the nails uh, were uh, just about the time that he got married uh, to, to Lucy. And so we were really curious about that building. And Lucy then goes on to say that they cultivated the land. Uh, that sounds like um, you know, they plowed lots of fields and grew corn or wheat or whatever, and we didn't find that kind of evidence in the landscape. We found that the land had been uh, almost uh, almost not plowed. It was only plowed a few times just to kind of allow grass to, to grow there, we presumed, and get, the, get a dairy going. And so we had these questions in mind uh, when we went ahead and published the book. And I suggested in the book, maybe we ought to do a pollen study at some point. And I, uh, I have to confess that I did not know much about what that entailed, but I knew uh, that they were done and that if we did that, that would help us a bit figure out uh, some of those details. So uh, as we did the book launch, uh, uh, a number of people uh, while we were online suggested, well, why don't you do the study? You know, I will, I'll give you some money to it, and so on. And a lot of people suggested that they would um, 
would support it. And I thought, well, it might be easier just to get a single grant. And so I was able uh, within our department, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints funds some personal scholarship, uh, uh, much like an academic institution would do. And so I was able to get a grant uh, to, to pursue this. And uh, the questions uh, primarily were, well, in this industrial building, did the Smiths grow uh, or process hops, which is one of the things we knew that they could have been growing on the property, or did they process apples and uh, <clears throat> making apple cider, um, which we also knew and had studied intently the apples that were on the property, or did they process ginseng, a third item that we knew that they were going to be uh, growing. And so uh, with those questions in mind, I contacted a palynologist, and a palynologist is uh, that the word means a studier of dust, um, but uh, they, they study a pollen. And so this palynologist at the University of uh, Utah in their uh, geology department, Kim Peterson, um, agreed to do the project uh, with the funding that I had gotten available to have him do that. And uh, so under his direction, uh, the owners of the property, Scott and Patricia Beavers, uh, took uh, six samples of dirt following specific instructions as to how those samples were collected and gathered in. And I assumed we, we would just get those to the palynologist and in a couple of weeks, he would have uh, results. It took, uh, you know, I, I looked back at the data and delivered them April 13th and did not get the results back until uh, yesterday, which would be uh, September 28th, where we sat down and talked about the preliminary draft of, of the report. And so this is still hot news, just off the press. Uh, don't even have the final uh, draft of the report uh, yet, but I, I know enough about what was found that we can share with you uh, some of what we learned from, from this process. So. Uh, the geology department, uh, their staff took uh, these samples and ran them through a centrifuge, which pulls the pollen uh, into the location where they need it so that they can uh, consolidate that, not have to uh, process everything. And then they take an acid and put that into these samples. And I, I asked, well, isn't, you know, the pollen is a plant material, isn't that going to eat away first? And it turns out, no, that even the, the rock and the dirt in the sample is eaten away by the acid before the pollen. It's so durable. And uh, so they were able to consolidate this pollen down to specific examples that then they could use a 400 power microscope to look at uh, each pollen. Uh, grain, and you can tell by the shape of the, the general species of this plant, not, not necessarily uh, the specific uh, variety. Um, so when we get to this, it, it does raise a, a few interesting details, but you can tell the general species. And so uh, Ken took and counted each grain of pollen over a long period of time, it took days and days and days to do all that. And he got uh, the results that then he, he was able to share. 
And indeed, the, uh, they, they were really interesting. It suggests some, you know, it's, it's fun to kind of go back to the landscape 200 years ago and say, oh, well, this is kind of what it might look like. For example, um, Canadian hemlock. In the floor of this building, there was a lot of pollen that, and in the samples that were taken outside as test samples, uh, half that amount of, of uh, the Canadian hemlock. That's a, a species that grows in more wet environments. And Ken uh, uh, explained, you know, about the, um, the little ice age and kind of the changes in climate that changed right at, at, at 1850 is when that uh, little ice age ended. And so um, that suggested a higher rain uh, content in, in the valley there when the Smith arrived. Um, and so the species were just a little bit different than I was assuming, you know, by just kind of walking through woods and kind of, uh, seeing what you could see. Um, I knew that there had been some changes from the historical uh, record, but not in, in this instance. And so knew that there was more Canadian hemlock uh, when the Smiths arrived. Um, and, and there was a lot of uh, pine pollen bowls samples just because pine is such a heavy producer of pollen, it gets everywhere. But um, one of the surprises was cattail. Uh, we knew that there was a fam kind of wetlands, but had no idea that there had been cattails growing in this area when the Smith family <laughs> settled it. Um, and that suggests some things about how they then had to prepare the land and make everything work. And the other one that we um, were looking for and expecting and indeed found was hops. Um, and it's listed in the report as cannabis. And that's where um, sometimes uh, larger varieties can confuse you as to the exact uh, variety that was being used because some of you may recognize cannabis as also uh, being the genus name for marijuana. Um, but it's, um, it's certain that the Smith family was not growing and processing marijuana just because of historical context and how things came in and are brought into areas. And we knew that hops had been grown in the area and we could confirm that through a lot of other uh, ways. And so that, that suggests that, uh, okay, the Smith family was processing hops in this building uh, because of the pollen samples that we found in the, in the floor there. And uh, that tells us then some things about them and about uh, their background and about uh, what they were trying to do as Lucy mentioned that they were cultivating the land. Uh, so it's a, I, I think it's a great insight. It goes on to explain some things when they uh, move to New Hampshire and other things that they're doing. It explains what they're trying to do, what's going on in their mind, and um, kind of some of that early background for the family. Uh, we didn't find any uh, apple varieties. Well, um, two small grains, but uh, probably just um, uh, from some nearby trees, uh, which was a surprise, but um, not for the pollenologist. It was a surprise for me. He suggested that, well, there's not gonna really be pollen on the apples, it's just on the blossoms. So if they're bringing uh, an apple harvest in there to make cider, you're not gonna get pollen in, in the building really. And so that, uh, that explains that. And 
Uh, I had hoped, you know, for somehow that the, uh, pollen on the ginseng roots as they had gathered that and brought that into the building had survived and it confirmed that, but uh, no ginseng. That doesn't mean that they weren't processing it there. They'd cut the tops off the plants. They harvest them in the fall long after pollen is exuded um, and they um, would have brought just the roots in. And so, so that, uh, that's easily explained. Uh, no apple pollen, no ginseng pollen, but indeed um, pollen from hawks. And so that suggests that one of the things that the family was growing and producing on their farm. So ginseng and apples were kind of documented as a known, you know, cash crops that they were dealing with. Um, and then, um, but you kind of suspected hops was going to be involved, but you, nobody had ever been able to confirm this. Now, um, hops would have been primarily be used to be make, making beer, correct? Right. And I suspect, uh, you know, Lucy doesn't mention, she just says cultivating the land. And you think, well, why didn't she just say what they were growing? Um, she's uh, dictating her narrative in the late 1840s, uh, long after Joseph Smith Jr. sons received a revelation, uh, you know, about, um, actually, if you read the revelation carefully, it it promotes the drinking of beer, um, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, that drink of, of mild barley that's mentioned in there. Um, but by the, by the mid 1840s, they pulled back from that, you know, additional revelation. And, and, um, and so beer is just not commonly drunk and it's easier, I think, to just kind of not get into all of that by having to explain yourself and you didn't know all these things earlier, you know, in a different background. And so it's easier just to say, yeah, cultivating the land. And so it never ended up in the, the historic record. That's amazing. And uh, it's just so cool that we're, I'm hearing this for the first time audience. This is really awesome. Now you actually a while back did give me the preliminary result that you thought it might've been hops, but then just to have that confirmation now, um, yeah keep verified is very exciting. Um, so yeah, so now this changes the history. The, the, now we know something about what was going on at Tunbridge Farm that we didn't know before. And, um, and, and you're, you basically think that it was just one of those things that wasn't because of the word of wisdom and everything like that would probably just been more, would have been more comfortable just not to even bring that up. And but what about apples first making cider, like hard cider? Like, would that been something that wouldn't look down upon? Well, um, yeah, by, by that time, it's kind of um, not as significant either. And Lucy does clearly mention apples and saving them in Norwich. They're raising apples. Um, it turns out that the landlord that they are um, working for, Constant uh, Murdoch, now that's his business, is beer and cider. And he's shipping it down river. And so I'm sure that, uh, you know, this helps explain what they're doing there and uh, that context. But uh, Lucy needed to mention the apples because that's what saved them and kept them going. And so she mentions that and it's a little more natural. It's, it's hard to get, get into her mind and, you know, to know why she's saying what she's saying and what she doesn't say. But uh, in my mind, that's, that's what she's just, you know, mentioning that, but not the other, uh, just because it avoids uh, having to explain yourself. Okay, so now you had mentioned Canadian hemlock and cattails. These would these would these been pollen spores that just sort of naturally got in there, or were they using them for stuff to harvest or whatever? What were they just pollens that made it just in? Naturally there? growing the hemlock or 
uh, cover their land mostly when they ar arrive. Uh, that's what they're clearing and cutting out. Uh, there is some uh, sugar maple, but surprise, I, I've assumed that the ground would be covered in sugar maple pollen. That's what's uh, on the, the land today. Uh, sugar maples everywhere, but not not in the samples we took. It just you know because they were down on the floor, original floor level, and there just wasn't uh, much sugar maple there. Which uh, so that was a fostered thing that they um, tried to get more of in their area, but it wasn't as heavy there when they arrived as I, I assume. Uh, other there were other uh, species. Um, grass was not in the building, the, gra the grass pollens all around for the outside samples, but not, almost none in the building itself, which uh, you would expect with an old growth forest. You don't have a lot of grass growing in a forest. And so that suggests kind of the clearing time, just right after they have cleared the fields uh, that this building was going up, which confirms what we have, we're seeing in the archeology span as, as well. So that was a nice confirmation that this, we were capturing a, a period of time uh, before the building was torn down and, and people had, you know, the whole area was used as cattle pasture. And an interesting uh, other detail was the dandelion uh, seeds uh, that we found. Dandelions um, were in Vermont early. Um, the Puritans brought them over to their gardens as a medicinal plant from England. And I just assumed that because, you know, that they disperse in the wind and I assumed all oh, the wind had just blown uh, these dandelions up in Vermont and other places fairly quickly. It doesn't, they don't travel that quickly, but cattle don't digest the dandelion seeds and they carry them with them as they go places. So people such as the, the Smith family, uh, Asel and Mary Smith took their whole herd of cattle from Ipswich, Massachusetts up to Vermont. Uh, it took 140 days. So um, I suspect by then the um, dandelion seeds were out, but other people uh, took theirs up fairly quickly. Um, and uh, their, uh, the cattle are spreading the dandelions uh, around the area. It becomes an interesting phenomenon for the Smith family because there is in 1815 uh, cold weather that drives a lot of people out of Vermont and there was such starvation that um, people were forced to eat the dandelion roots in, in the Green Mountains. And I have one source that says that the dandelions didn't come back for another 50 years. They so thoroughly ate them out of out of their mountains that uh, they went extinct in Vermont for, for a while until they eventually cattle uh, or and perhaps later the wind uh, brought them back. So that was something that uh, you also see in these pollen samples where uh, the you know the dandelions weren't there early, but the, in the later samples they were. Interesting. Just real quick, how many head of cattle did the Smiths bring with them? Uh, I think six in the tax records in, in Massachusetts. And so that's probably, they probably brought them all up with them. Huh. Huh. Very interesting. Um, boy, I, it's, uh, it's just so fascinating, just those little uh, soil samples, what they're telling you about so much history, 
some of the natural things that were around. Now, the cannabis, just real quick, that would also have been a naturally occurring plant, correct, that they would have found? No, the hops, uh, they brought them up from Massachusetts. Okay. Um, and uh, probably more than just the Smiths. I don't know if the Smiths oh. brought them up or okay. some of their neighbors and they got them from them, but they're imported in uh, okay. into the area. Okay. Um, do you think that the, there are further studies with the soil that you would consider doing in the future? Or do you feel pretty satisfied that you've, you've done a pretty thorough thing or is this just a preliminary thing? I think for this site, this is all we're going to do. There's a lot we could learn from some of our other sites, particularly the Smith Farm in, in New York. We could learn a lot from doing exactly the same kinds of studies. So nobody's done anything at the Smith Farm in New York yet? Not in terms of pollen. Interesting. Are you going to be leading uh, the charge in that? Well, uh, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm working on a lot of other things there at the Smith Farm, and so hopefully that, that's one of the things that we can incorporate into that. Interesting. So just to, uh, based on yesterday, you sat down and went over the preliminary results. Uh, what was your, what, what did you take, what was you, what, how did you feel after reading them? Uh, was it pretty much everything you expected? Um, you know, what was your reaction to hearing the results for the first time yesterday? Um, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the hops result was one I was hoping for. And I had a heads up earlier that, that uh, some uh, grains of, of hops have been seen. And so I, I knew that we'd see something with that. Um, the rest of it was largely, I, I knew the general landscape and I spent a lot of time there. So I, I expected most of it. The cattails was for me the big surprise because I didn't have a heads up on that one and had no idea that they'd be in the valley where they were. And so that was uh, of interest. Fascinating. Well, that's, that's great. So I want to thank you so much for going over this stuff with me. And I, I just thought, why don't we talk a little bit because uh, you've had a pretty busy summer. And as we, you and I have been communicating since June, you've been giving me updates, not on, only on the, on the study, but also some of the projects you've been working on. Maybe just talk a little bit about what some of the current stuff you're doing. Uh, well, for my employer, I'm working on lots of historic sites projects that we've got going, but my, my personal projects um, primarily uh, are building on this earlier research, trying to get it out. And so I'm trying to do, a, I'm doing a lot of writing right now to pull together a lot of research I've done. And I've got an article coming out in the Journal of Mormon History next April that details uh, Joseph Smith Sr.'s ginseng trade. Uh, there's a lot of uh, exciting stuff there. Um, so I think I'll hold back on sharing it so that the journal can kind of release that. but. It took me to London. I went through the East India Company records there and to New York, to the John Jacob Astor Library there and other places to pull together um, some fun stuff on that project. So it'll be great to see that one when it comes out. And then I'm working on an extensive uh, project, a, a major book with a colleague of mine. Uh, that all of this has been is footnotes for that larger project, uh, Don Anders, um, who spent uh, almost 60 years doing archaeology at uh, church history sites. Um, and I'm trying to help him pull that together. And, and we're working on a history of the Smith family from, 
as I say, 1630 to 1830, uh, but uh, the, the early part doesn't uh, give as much time. It's mostly the Smith family in Vermont and New York up until 18, January of 1831. Huh. Huh. You also were telling me you were involved in some kind of renovation project for one of the historic sites? Uh, yeah, working on some, uh, helping to restore a number of sites where, you know, there's always a, a building or furnishing issues or other things that we deal with on those sites. So. Well, so, so when does this article come out in the Mormon History Association? You said in the spring? Uh, in April, it's scheduled to come out. It's in April of 2022. Okay, that's great. Well, I'm a member of MHA, so I look forward to getting my hands on that copy. Watch for it. Perhaps maybe when it, uh, comes out, we could maybe have you back on and you could talk about uh, that as well. I would love to do that. It ended up 84 pages of material got cut down to 20 pages. <laughs> so there's a lot more to share that I'd love to share at some point. Yeah, let's talk about the cut 64 pages, man. That's probably some good stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I, I do have one thing I have to request from you. And you're supposed to say, what's that? What's that, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, when you were in Vermont, you told me that, the, of course, you saw some of the apple trees that the Smiths had planted and that the people who owned the property had eaten the apples. And uh, you told me, I asked you, I said, okay, Mark, well, did you try one of the apples? And you said, no. Well, Mark, I, I need you to do this. Next time you're out there, you need to go out to the Tunbridge farm and you need to eat one of those apples and come back and tell me how, how they were. I would love to do that. I'd love to go meet with my friends out there and see them again and try some of those apples. So maybe have an apple pie even. Who knows if they're made for that, but you never know. So, sure. <laughs> so we'll have you back for the apple report. <laughs> so folks, I just want to thank everybody um, for joining us on this adventure. And Mark, I just want to thank you for coming onto my program. Do you have any final words for my audience? Um, no, other than just to, to remind you that uh, not all history has to come from documents. There are a lot of other things uh, that we can learn about the past from, and I'm hoping that we can look at a lot of those other things in the future more often and, and get a, a better perspective of what has happened. Yeah, we have soil samples, we have LIDAR, there's so many other ways to tell the story. Now, I won't tell you, because I just was at Brent Ashworth on Saturday, so we know documents are very important to him, so I won't let him know that. But I think he'll get a kick out of his pollen study results as well. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you, Mark, for coming on. Folks, I just remind you to uh, like and subscribe, hit the notification button to get informed when a new video comes on my YouTube channel. I just want to thank everybody for uh, all the support that I've been receiving on this channel. I've got some more great guests coming, uh, including Mark, probably next spring. And uh, everybody, we're going to get through this uh, time of peril with the pandemic. Uh, and hopefully soon enough, we'll return to normalcy. Have a great day.